SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Listening to Scott Wetzel will give you a bad taste in your mouth. You call these bagels? It's Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Hour number two of Bagels and Bad Beats on this Tuesday morning. Yours truly, Scott Wetzel, taking you right up until 7 a.m. Eastern time. Taking your phone calls at 844-843-6879. Again, toll-free, 844-843-6879. Uh, send a tweet. It is at Opposite Picks, uh, O-P-P-O-S-I-T-E, Picks, P-I-C-K-S. We got our poll question out there, and that is we got a Game 7 later on tonight. Denver Nuggets and L.A. Clippers, best Game 7 in Sports uh, so far, NHL playoffs leading the way at 52%. You got NBA postseason at 28%, and uh, MLB playoffs at uh, 20%. Did not include the proverbial other, just because there really isn't another game seven. Although you could have a uh, you know uh, best of seven tennis match <clears throat> heading into the seventh set, I suppose that could have been uh, one of those. But we we kept it at those three, and again. Uh, postseason lead in the way in the NHL at 51%. Again, opposite picks go there. You want to send an email, go to the website, oppositepicks.com, and uh, I'll check out some emails before we are through as well. NFL football last night, two Monday night games to kick off the season. Pittsburgh knocking off the Giants 26-16. Tennessee taking care of Denver 16-14. Ben Roethlisberger throws for three scores, 229 yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley had to, held to six yards rushing on 15 carries, missed a turnover himself. Daniel Jones really does in the Giants driving down six uh, late in the third quarter on a 19-play, 90-plus yard drive, and he caps it off with an interception in the end zone, and that turned the game around. Instead of the Giants taking a 17-16 lead, uh, Pittsburgh comes down, kicks the field goal, and after all intents, this is where the ball game. Tennessee, meanwhile, Stephen Guskowski misses not one, not two, not three, but Four field, well, four kicks, three field goals and an extra point. But uh, he has the wherewithal to connect from 25 yards out with 17 seconds left, giving Tennessee the win. Denver head coach Vic Mangio fails to call any timeouts on that last Tennessee drive, despite having three, thinking that uh, Kuskowski was going to miss the field goal. So he left his team basically no time left. So there you go. Those are the storylines. We'll break it all down next. Bagels and Bad Beats on a Tuesday morning with Scott Lutz. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bagel. Now, back to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Tannehill, across the middle, it is juggled and caught for the touchdown. 
Michael Pruitt for the touchdown. The tight. Looking to throw on first down. Jones steps up, launches downfield, and Slayton caught. Touchdown, Giants. And the New York Giants cash in the first deep strike of the season. ESPN TV with the call. Bagels and Bad Beats on a Tuesday morning. Here's truly Scott Wetzel sitting in, taking you right up until 7 a.m. Eastern time. Pittsburgh knocks off the Giants 26-16. As you heard, Chris Fowler there, a little bit of Kirk Herbstreit. And then uh, Tennessee beat Denver 16-14. As you had Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, and uh, Brian Greasy with the call. You know, overall, not horrible as far as the broadcasts are concerned. I'm not a big fan of of Fowler and Herbstreit I, I, together. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not. I, I don't think they do a good job. I think they're too, you know, it's a weird situation where clearly these two guys get along. Clearly they're friends and that, that's fine. But th- there's something about their broadcast that it's just, it's too giddy. It's too buddy-buddy. It, it's almost like, you know, I'm old school. It, it's me to talk to you, whether there's one person out there or a million people out there. And I, I don't do radio shows where I talk to the producers and I bring 50 zillion guests on and I bring this guy on and that guy. I, that That's, you know, I'll leave that to others. It, it, to me, like I said, I'm old school. It's a one-on-one uh, communication here. I speak to you. And when I listen to Fowler and Herb Street, it feels like I'm just uh, peering in on their conversation with, with each other. And, and the one thing, and, and, you know, like Fowler does a pretty good job. Uh, you know, Herb Street, to me, if he was with someone else, maybe would do a pretty good job. Here's my problem with Herb Street. He's, he's too inclined to tell me about a kid's background. I don't care about the backup offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I, I just don't. I don't care about the starting offensive tackle. I don't care about that minutia. I get it. You, you watch these guys in college, you know, you know a little bit about them, but you're missing the game, Kirk. You know, you're not watching the game. You're too busy telling us how this kid was in college or in high school or how there's two offensive linemen that could play right tackle versus left tackle. Who cares? Nobody cares about that. You know what they care about? They care about gambling. They care about gambling, all right? You know, e- even in the game, you know, Pittsburgh and the Giants, you know, the over-under, depending on where and when you did your shopping, was right around 44-45, right? And the Giants score late with about two minutes left, and they go for two to make it a one-possession game, as they should, cut a 10-point deficit to eight. They fail to get it, and, and uh, you know, Fowler throws out a little caveat there. Well, a lot of people were interested in that two-point conversion. Hey, hey, Chris. Uh, your network is littered with gambling. It's up and down the lineup, whether it's in Sports Center, whether it has designed shows pertaining to gambling, whether it's throughout the NBA broadcast, and then and, and fine, it is what it is. I'm not criticizing that, but you don't have to pretend that people are interested in whether the Giants make this two-point conversion because we have an over-under that could be in play here, okay? It, it's, it's no longer this hidden dark secret in the closet. It's throughout your entire network. Go ahead and say it. I got an over-under that's right around 44. Giants make this. Maybe you get a push if you're sitting on the over, and you get a loss or a push if you're sitting on the under. We we all know we're interested in this. You know, forget, oh, by the way, that the Giants could just, you know, cut the lead to a one-score game. And that's what I mean about Herbstreit and, and, and Fowler, both of them. You know, as I'm watching this game, I'm saying to myself, you guys bird brains, you know, and I'm blaming the Giants as well. It's 26 to 10. Now, on the surface, 
you know, uh, you're saying to yourself, <clears throat> well, you know, the game is over. It's 26 to 10. Uh, there's seven minutes left. There's six minutes left. There's five minutes left. You know, there's four minutes left. And, and, and I want to yell at the TV set and say, hey, guys, you know, it's simple first grade arithmetic here. Okay, Giants get two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. That adds up to what, 14 points? No. 15 points? No. That adds up to 16 points, Chris and Kirk. You know, they're only down two scores here. That, that's all it is, two possessions. So it's not insurmountable to think that the Giants could score here with maybe four or five minutes left. They got three timeouts. Now, they got the two-minute warning, two timeouts. They got the, uh, the, the two-minute warning. You know, they're not out of this football game. Uh, they're not. And they just rattled off a 19-play, 90-plus-yard drive, you know, 15 minutes ago. So it's not like they're not capable of moving the football up and down the field. But are these two bird brains talking about it? No. They're breaking down the offensive tackle and whether he can play the right guard, left tackle, and, and they're giving me the minutia of what this guy did or didn't do in training camp. I don't care. Watch the game. These guys don't watch the game. <clears throat> they're like, the you know, a verbal encyclopedia. They just want to spit out all this information, you know, like they're so proud of the fact that they did all this research. We get it. Okay, you did the research. I'm proud of you. Some guys don't do research, but watch the game. It took Fowler until there was two and a half minutes left to realize that, hey, you know what? Giants are only down two scores here. Two and a half minutes left. As the Giants got the football with about seven minutes left and they're driving, you know, methodically down the field, chewing up clock. I get all that stuff. You know, either one of these two bird brains saying, hey, listen, guys, you better pick up the pace here. And again, I'll blame the Giants ultimately. There was no sense of urgency whatsoever. None. You know, they're taking their time. They're going into the huddle. You know, no, uh, you know, no huddle offense. I mean, it was just amazing. You just, you know, come on, guys. You know, you're only down two scores. So, you know, you would think Fowler and Herbstreit doing the game would criticize the Giants and say, hey, listen, you know, you're, you're only down two scores. You're five minutes left and you're huddling up here. Let's go. Let's get a sense of urgency. Get in the end zone with four minutes left. You know, force Pittsburgh to get a couple of time, uh, get a couple of first downs in order to win the football game. But nothing. Two and a half minutes left is when Fowler finally realized, hey, you know what? 26 to 10, touchdown, two-point conversion, eight, touchdown, two-point two conversion, another eight. Gee, gee, they're only down two scores here. That's when he finally realized, hey, you know what? The Giants should be picking up the pace here a little bit. And, and that's what I don't like about announcers. You know, you, they don't watch the game. They, you know, I don't care about the minutia, again, of where this guy played or what he did in the offseason or this, that. Watch the freaking football game. And if you want to bring up point spreads, go ahead. Again, you have TV shows on the four-letter network designed for gambling. You had point spreads talk throughout NBA broadcasts. Because of the gambling. You're in bed with the gambling. There's advertising, DraftKings, FanDuel, all over the place with the, with the gambling. <clears throat> you don't have to hide the fact that you guys know there's a point spread maybe involved with an over-under 44. Just, you know, so from that standpoint, I, I don't, you know, it, it, to me, those guys are too giddy-giddy. I, I think they forget they're talking to the audience and, and, and you know, uh, just try and want to be buddy-buddies on the air. And I don't think it works. I just don't. I don't like their college football stuff. I don't like their NFL stuff. It's not brutal. It's not awful. But and I think Fowler is actually pretty darn good. I, I like I said. I, I think they would be better suited if they those two guys got split up. Maybe they would concentrate more on the football game than just yapping back and forth. The, the second game with uh, they for whatever reason they had three guys: uh, Levy, uh, Riddick, and, and Brian Greasy. Not too bad. You know, I used to know Steve way back when when we worked together at FAN. So I think he does a pretty good job. I thought last night he was actually pretty good. 
I like Riddick, um, you know, Greasy as well. I don't know if either one of these two brings that, hey, you're watching something special, cachet. You know, like like NBC, they, they made that they had their big time announcers do the uh, the Sunday night football. Um, you know, and same thing with Thursday night football when they were trying to do the broadcast there. They made sure that the A team from CBS, the Romo team, and Nance did those games because you know the others weren't good enough. You know, there's a certain respect, there's a certain cachet, there's a certain aura. You know that when you watch a football game and you got Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, you know, okay, this is an important event. I don't know. Uh, if I, in fact, I do know uh, they don't, you know, Fowler and Herb Street to me, they don't bring that to the table. I hate the national championship college football games because these two guys are to me are, are lost. And and I don't know as much as I like Riddick and, and Levy and Greasy. I don't think they also have that. You know, it, there's a special something of I got to tune into Wetzel Bagels and Bad Beats tomorrow because I want to hear him rip Pittsburgh or rip the Giants or rip Tennessee or rip Denver. Not everybody has that. You know, I got to tune into this football game. When I watch this football game, boy, you know what? I feel like I'm, I'm watching something really important because the announcers do bring a little bit more to the table than other announcers. And I don't think these two pairings, uh, you know, accomplish that. I, I really don't. All right, Bagels and Bad Beats on a uh, Tuesday morning. Pittsburgh do not go off the Giants. The Steelers do. Tennessee over Denver. And we got Dallas going to the Stanley Cup Finals in a Game 7 tonight in the NBA. Oh, coming up with Bagels and Bad Beats. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bagel. Now, back to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Zonia, he will score on the Aaron throw, and the Padres take a 4-1 lead. On the ground, base hit into right field. From third base comes Garcia. He will score as Betts gets it back in, and the Padres take a 5-1 lead. Manny Machado with an opposite field RBI single. One on, one off. Manny played a little pepper on the 2-2 seamer away. Nice easy swing. Six hopper. And you gotta love the reaction. Oh yeah, Manny wants to eat cake. Let them eat cake. Austin Nola's 0 for 3. He's grounded out twice and struck out looking. Nola chops one towards third base. Rios will tag out Tatis. But a run will score in from third is Grisham and the Padres add another run on top six to one. Bagels and bad meats on a Tuesday morning Padres radio network with the call last night. And uh, that is the tough one. If you're a betting guy, uh, that, that is for sure living up to our moniker bad beats. You know, I went to bed last night, and as I was watching the games and flipping through the scores, we were all over the under in this Padre-Dodgers game. All right, the over-under was eight 
eight for Lamette and Kershaw. Right away, I knew it had rat, you know what, written all over. That that line had no business being eight. It should have been seven, seven and a half, uh, you know, it, it, not six and a half. I won't go that far, but, you know, seven, seven and a half, that absolute word, not eight, right? But I said, eh, you know, I'm not going to allow the lines to, you know, change my thinking. You know, Kershaw has been absolutely on fire. This Lamette kid for San Diego, if you're not familiar with him, has been terrific all year. And, you know, and, and, and these two teams are going to score nine runs. You know, no way. No, you know, big time series first of a three game set. Uh, San Diego trying to catch the Dodgers in the NL West. Uh, no, this has got three, one, four, two, you know, three, two written all over. Love the under eight. Love it. Right. So give me under eight. So I'm watching football and going back and forth. It's 1-1 one, one in the third, 1-1 one, one in the fourth, 1-1 one, one in the fifth, 1-1 one, one in the sixth, top of the seventh, it's 1-1, one, one, and you're kicking yourself saying, man, oh, man, I, I should have doubled down, should have tripled down. I knew that was a winner. You know, why did I let the line scare me off? I mean, these two guys pitching, I mean, there's no freaking way they were going to get nine runs. I mean, not, not even eight for the push. I mean, my, you know, for nine runs, no way. You know, you're kicking yourself, and what happens? Ah, uh, yes, the bad beats come into play. As you hear there, Padres score five in the seventh. They take a 6-1 lead. Now you're at seven runs. All right, no big deal. I still got a run to give. Still looking at a winner. Top of the eighth, no run scored. Bottom of the eighth, no reason to score. You're already leading 6-1. to one. Padres score to make it 7-1. to one. And you're like, oh, brother, uh, there goes my winner. All right, we'll walk out of here with a push. No worse for wear, no big deal. And then, of course, the, the Dodgers have to score a run in the top of the ninth inning to make the final San Diego 7, Dodgers 2. Game goes over. That's what they call a bad beat. That's a tough one. So good news if you're a, a Fathers fan. Uh, they move within one and a half of the Dodgers in the NL West, albeit two in the loss column. But I told you yesterday, and I've been telling you this, the Padres schedule is easy. Dodgers schedule is not. And it's not the craziest notion in the world for San Diego to win that division. If you could still get odds on them winning the division, go ahead and jump on it. But that's a tough one. You know, 1-1, one, one, bottom of the seventh. And you got an over-under of eight. I mean, it, it, to think that they're going to score eight runs uh, or uh, six runs, rather, the rest of the way, seven runs the rest of the way, uh, is just, you know, it's not going to happen, and that's what they do. Five in the seventh, one in the eighth, and one more in the top of the ninth. They get those, uh, you know, seven runs, and it turns out to be a 7-2 final. Welcome to the boys in Vegas, ah, brother. All right, so Padres win 7-2. As I mentioned, they are a game and a half back now, two in the loss column. White Sox knock off the Twinkies 3-1, to one, so Chicago ups its lead in the AL Central to 2. Uh, Miami takes care of Philadelphia 6-2, to two, so the Marlins, I tell you what, you know, the Marlins may make the postseason. Uh, it, it's remarkable. We're, we're probably not going to get Baltimore, we're probably not going to get Detroit, and, and we're probably not even going to get Seattle. But, you know, the Marlins in the National League, they are hovering in on clinching, believe it or not. I mean, they got a long ways to go, but right now, the Marlins are sitting in the number five spot in the National League. I, we're not talking about sneaking in. We're talking about, you know, trying to battle the Braves for home field advantage in the first round. It would be a Braves-Miami matchup right now. Uh, they are at 24-21. and 21. They've already eclipsed their season total with 15 games left for them. I'm not sure how many they're going to actually play. I think they're going to try and get all of them in. 
but, you know, they, they didn't play there for a good week in the beginning of the part of the season with the coronavirus and everything. But, yeah, you know, barring a complete, uh, a complete collapse, they're, they're going to make it. Now, listen, uh, I, I will say they're not, you know, they're number five now. But six is Philadelphia with 23 wins. Seven is St. Louis with 21. They're 21 and 21, so they got to make up some games. Eight is uh, San Fran with 23. And nine is Cincinnati with 23 wins, 23 and 26. And then you got Milwaukee, Colorado, and the Mets with 21 uh, wins sitting in the number 10 spot, tied for the 10th spot. So, uh, you know, Miami is sitting in the number five spot, but they're one win away from falling into the number nine spot. So they haven't clinched anything, but they only have 21 losses, which is the key. You know, the, you go by the loss column this time of the year. Philadelphia's got 23. St. Louis only has 21, albeit they played, you know, less games, three less games, and San Fran has 24. So they got one more win and a few more, a uh, few less losses. So they're sitting, you know, they realistically have about a two and a half to three game lead uh, for one of the playoff spots. And that would be amazing. Uh, it really would if they were to get in, that's for sure. So a uh, red sweep, a, a doubleheader with Pittsburgh. That was a huge sweep for Cincinnati, which, as I mentioned, is on the outside looking in. Uh, they needed to get that, so uh, they split first time since uh, 2009. They split a doubleheader uh, with, uh, check that, the Cardinals and, and Brewers split. Uh, but, oh, yeah, the Reds, first time they split a doubleheader with uh, Pittsburgh since 2009. Uh, Cardinals and Brewers split a doubleheader with St. Louis winning the nightcap 3-2. to two. Oakland splits a doubleheader with Seattle winning the nightcap 9 to nothing. They played this game under a haze of smoke created by the forest fires in California. They're still burning. Uh, so that that is a crazy situation out there with all that, with everything else going on. You know, they, these four teams got to play with with this smoke that's hovering over the stadium. Uh, air quality cannot be great. That that is for sure. But you know, baseball plunges forward. I tell you, in a lot of ways, they just fallen off the map. Major League Baseball. And really, you know, I don't outside of stanky fans because we live here in New York and the Yankees are falling apart at the seams, and, and the Mets have uh, you know fallen a couple of games back now in their quest to get into the postseason. You know, if you throw those guys out of the equation, just, you know, the casual baseball fan, you know, when I do my podcast and I talk to people, as much as they're down on the NBA and ratings are bad for the NFL, like nobody but nobody's talking baseball. Baseball is in like the NHL category. That, that, that's how bad it is. People have just, you know, the, the, there's a perception that these games don't count because eight teams get into the playoffs. And if you're battling for a playoff spot, then it doesn't matter if you get in the number one spot or the number eight spot. You know, really, it really doesn't. Um, you know, you're getting into the postseason and you're playing a best of three opening round matchup, whether you're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight, uh, with no fans in the stands, although they hope to have fans in the stands. Uh, Manfred yesterday said that, uh, he's speaking out here on Long Island, as a matter of fact, that they haven't given up hope putting fannies in the stands for these playoff games. Listen, they're losing a lot of money. He even admitted to that. I'll give him credit for that. I mean, he listen, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. But, you know, speaking at an online event for, for uh, Hofstra University, which is out here on Long Island, uh, he did say that they're hoping to have fans for the National League Championship Series and then maybe the World Series. You know, it's funny. All these sports, they're all kind of letting the other person be the guinea pig, you know, whether it's the NFL with college football. Well, let's see how that goes. Put some fans in the stands here. Then maybe we'll throw some fans in the stands, whether it's Major League Baseball with the NFL. Well, let's see how that goes. We'll see how, you know, things you get with the coronavirus there or whether it's the NBA. You know, let's see how the NBA does it. I know they're living in a bubble. We get all that stuff. But let's see if there are any repercussions to having, you know, a couple of thousand uh, friends and family members in the stands you know uh they're all kind of waiting for that domino to fall 
where someone's going to rise up and say, yep, it's okay. Go ahead and put 50,000 people in the stands, 60,000 people, or they're waiting for the domino to crash and burn saying, you know what? We put 15,000 in the stands and now we have, you know, another 5,000 cases of the coronavirus. Everyone's afraid to make that first step. I don't know what Manfred thinks is going to happen from now until literally, you know, a month from now, three weeks from now, which is when the National League and American League Championship Series would be, that they want to be able to open up the, the, the turnstiles. To me, I think it's silly. You know, the caveat to me is, you know, fans know if, if you get in, you're, you're taking the risk. And maybe you can't have a sellout crowd in these stadiums, but to not have every other seat, um, it, the, the whole thing to me is dopey. You know, you, you want to tell fans you got to wear a mask. Okay, go ahead and do that. But to sit there and say you can't have fans in the stands, it, it really is idiotic when you start thinking about some of these things. You can walk around town. You can go to banks. You can go to post offices. You can go to supermarkets. Um, you know, you could grab carts that have been grabbed by a thousand people. You can grab, you know, the gas handle, the pump gas into your car that's been grabbed by a thousand people. You can go into the bank, open up the door, use the keyboard to punch your card in that's been touched by a thousand people. That's all okay, but you can't go to a football game. You can't go to a baseball game with a mask on. Why not? I don't know because you just can't. I mean, it, it really, there's just. I wish we just had one way of living and had to deal with it versus allowed to do certain things and not allowed to do other things. It, it's very, it's a frustrating experience if you want to go to a, to a game. That is for sure. All right, Bagels and Bad Beats on a uh, Tuesday morning. Good news, perhaps, for college football fans. That's next on a Tuesday with Scott SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Try my disgusting bagel. Now, back to bagels and bad beats with Scott Game. I mean, it came out, came out lighting up. We go right down the field and score a touchdown. So I, I wouldn't say uh, he was out of sync at all until we started screwing it up. Um, we didn't run the ball as well as I thought we would um, on the edges. We, I mean, we had some success, but, uh, you know, we had some good drives and we had some really poor drives. But the turnovers and the penalties were the key. Head coach, current head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Careful, Bruce. Careful, brother. Don't overstep the boundaries that you have as head coach. I know you're the head coach and you're in the uh, proverbial hot seat, uh, but you don't step on Tom Brady's shoes after one game. Uh, He would later go on to say yesterday. Now, the initial comments weren't too harsh. It's one of those where the headlines look a lot worse than the comments. He, he would go on to say he looked like Tom Brady in practice all the time, so it's kind of unusual to see that in a ball game because they didn't do things that we didn't get ready for. Everything they did, meaning the Saints, 
we thought they were ready for. Uh, some wide receivers have to do a better job winning one-on-one when he decides to go their way. He put us in the right run checks a couple of times. It was a learning experience that way. So it was a very casual conversation. It really wasn't him uh, ripping Brady. But then he would later go on to say, I would expect him meeting Brady to have a little more grit, a little more determination this week. That was a rip of Brady. You know, I don't know what he meant by that. You know, maybe that would just piss Brady off to get him more fired up. I don't, really don't think you need to fire up Tom Brady any more than what he is already. If he's not fired up, then, uh, you know, he's in a lot of trouble. So li- little strange for Arians to be playing these mind games with Tom Brady. And as, as goofy as Belichick is, and as maybe as bad as their relationship was, uh, you never heard Belichick rip Brady publicly. You, know, I mean, you didn't hear you know Belichick rip anybody. You, know, you didn't hear Belichick at all, generally speaking. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, so, you know, it's very weird to hear a head coach rip, uh, Tom Brady. It, it really is. So I, I'd be, a, I'd be a little careful because I got a feeling if Brady went to ownership and said, listen, get this guy out of here. He's a pain in the butt. Uh, I think ownership would rather listen to Brady than they would Bruce Arians to tell you the truth. And Brady and company has Carolina at home. Lines are out for, uh, next week's games. Cincinnati Cleveland is our Thursday night game. Oof. Um, you know, maybe Burrow will bring something to the table, but uh, Browns are a six-point favorite. I don't know why that would be. Uh, on the surface, I, I like Cincinnati in that football game. Uh, Rams are a one-point favorite over the Eagles. You got Tampa Bay as a nine-point favorite over Carolina. Uh, Pittsburgh and Denver, uh, interestingly enough, they both play last night, then they play next week. Six-and-a-half-point Steelers favorite. Uh, Dallas a five-point favorite over at Atlanta. 49ers, a seven-point road favorite against the New York Jets. You got Buffalo, a lot of road favorites here. You got the Buffalo Bills as a five-and-a-half-point road favorite against our beloved Dolphins. You got the, the Colts laying three against Minnesota. Oof. That's, you know, boy, I tell you, it's funny. This past Sunday, I swear I'm going to write off Kirk Cousins and, um, you know, Phillip Rivers, right? And what happens? Uh, they play each other. You got to pick one team. Amazing. Packers, six-point home favorite against Detroit. You got the, the Bears, a five-and-a-half-point uh, five home favorite against the Giants. Tennessee, 11 over Jacksonville. Arizona, six-and-a-half at home against Washington. That's a four o'clock game. You got Baltimore, six-and-a-half-point road favorite at Houston. Well, I tell you, the boys in Vegas just don't like this Houston team at all. Kansas City's an eight-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Chargers. Uh, the Seagirls, a little rematch from a Super Bowl from a few years back. Four-point favorite over the Patriots. That's your Sunday night game next week. And uh, next Monday night, you got the Saints, a five-and-a-half-point road favorite at Las Vegas as the Raiders play their first game at home. So what do you got? You got Saints road favorite. You got uh, Chefs road favorite. You got Ravens road favorite. You have uh, Bills road favorite. Niners road favorite. Rams road favorite. So six road favorites out of 16 games. That that's uh, you know that that's a number of games. That makes life uh, tough for uh, you know suicide survivor pool players. That is for sure. But those are the opening lines. Six road favorites on the surface. Real quickly, uh, what jumps out at me? You know, I don't like laying uh, near double digits, so I wouldn't go there. Uh, you know, I would say the Bungles plus six Thursday night. I mean, who are the Browns to be nearly a touchdown favorite over anybody? Um, Green Bay, maybe five and a half at home against uh, the Lions. Five and a half, six. That Lions team is an absolute joke. Didn't see a whole heck of a lot from that Giants offensive line. 
So I would think the Bears' defense would be able to stifle them as well. Maybe the, maybe the Bears laying five and a half against the Giants. I'd have to see about that one. Um, I'd like to boy, Arizona. You know, I was going to say Arizona, but that's a big number against Washington. And, um, you know, probably Seattle laying four against New England. I got a feeling that Sunday night game, that line's going to jump way up. I, I, I'm not ready to buy into uh, Cam Newton just yet. So those are the, my initial thoughts on the NFL action uh, next week. Mark, speaking of Las Vegas, Mark in Las Vegas uh, checks in on Bagels and Bad Beats on this uh, Tuesday morning. What's up, Mark? How are you today, bud? Scotty, what's up? How you doing, buddy? Not bad. How are you? Good. Hey, I'm just out there trucking on the West Coast somewhere out here, and uh, just want to talk a little NFL. Um, not a bad uh, start. Uh, we all know about the, the low ratings and the poor play and, and all that good stuff. But I just wanted to stand up quick about uh, a good old boy, John Gruden, about clock management. Isn't that one of his uh, Achilles heels about always not, you know, being aggressive towards the end of the game? I mean, he did it again last, uh, last night, the other night against South Carolina. With about seven to eight minutes left in the game, he's rushing up onto the ball. He's, uh, you know, not burning the clock, and he's giving the Carolina Panthers too many chances. That's when they had the lead, and then before Carolina came back and scored, you mean? Yeah, exactly. They're up by, uh, yeah, they came back and scored, and then the Raiders went down on their, uh, in the fourth quarter with, like I said, seven, eight minutes left, and they end up scoring and giving the ball back to Carolina with maybe – would be one or two minutes, maybe a minute and a half left. But, and then they're only up by three. And it's like, you know, maybe four dollars four. But just the whole clock management, I mean, you can't do that, especially on the road. Yeah, I don't, I didn't remember seeing that, uh, Mark. I didn't take notice of that. And I was watching the game, flipping all the games, but I didn't see them rushing to the line of scrimmage like you were talking about or maybe throwing the football. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's a clock genius. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that over the years watching him. So, but I don't specifically, honestly, I don't specifically remember that those drive or that drive in particular that you were talking about. But um, that would have, I will tell you, that would have been a tough loss because they did control play. That was one of those games. It's amazing. That game and the Seattle Atlanta game, we, you know, I, I flipped back and forth a gazillion times. And I tell you, uh, nearly every single time I flipped back to the Raiders game, they had the football. You know, I, I kept on saying, how is Carolina staying in this game? Because every time I see it, the Raiders got the ball and they're moving the ball up and down the field. I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't know what they're doing to, you know, to maybe blow this game. And then they had the double digit lead and they blew that in the fourth quarter. So hey, listen, at least, at least you guys won. It was a victory. It wasn't pretty. You gave up 30 points, which, you know, to a bad Carolina team. Um, but you were able to get the job done in the fourth quarter, so I'd, I'd be happy if everything, all things considered, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it, and, and hopefully I haven't heard nothing on the local channels yet on uh, on Las Vegas uh, sports channels, but I'm hoping at least um, this uh, Sunday or maybe even Monday afternoon we could at least do some kind of rally. I mean, this is a historical moment on Monday night against uh, the Saints. The first yeah. professional football game in uh, Las Vegas, you know, not counting the the XFL and and the Canadian, you know, back back in the day. This is the the big boys, you know, and and of course we can't go to the games of, with the situation going on. But I hope, uh, you know, we could do something at least outside, 
you know, some little, you know, get together or something. I mean, cross the street, you know, up on the overpass. Are, are they allowing more well, fans at all? Are they allowing any fans at all in the stadium or anything? No. Nothing. No, no, they're not. They're not going to have any fans in the in stands on a Monday night game. First game uh, in the stadium, brand new, which you paid a billion, two billion dollars for. And yeah, I mean, they could they couldn't make any kind of exception. So hopefully we can do something. Uh, if we do, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll throw you a message or something. I'm going to be down yeah. there. You know. Yeah, at least be able to tell. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, the tailgating situation, uh, since the location that it's at, um, there's not much space around the stadium itself. I mean, the parking lot alone is only 2,700 spaces available around the stadium. Yeah, tiny. And then what they've done, about three to four blocks away over on another street, they've bought, uh, I think, about 17 to 18-acre lot. Used to be an old taxi uh, um, business, which has big parking lots. They're talking; they may do tailgating uh, right there, you know. And then, of course, they'll have shuttles, you know, around different areas to bring people in, in the first couple of years. And I'm sure they're going to work out something as they go along. Yeah, even if they built a facility for more parking. I mean, I understand that you know they're figuring people that are coming in. And they're going to do all the shuttles and at the casinos and all that. But still, you know, that, that's whole part of the uh, the whole thing there, the tailgating process. You know, they'll, they'll appreciate having space there for people to be due to tailgating. I don't know what's surrounding it, whether you can buy some more land or not. But um, only 2,700 parking spaces for a seat that uh, the place is going to see, what, 75,000, I imagine? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's standing room only. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's already sold out. So real quick, and I'll let you go. You're cutting it down to the end of your show here, but uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you an update this week and see if anything comes up at any rally, and we'll see how it goes. But uh, you take care, and we'll talk to you later. You got it, Mark. Appreciate that, bud. I tell you, it's a tough. Uh, you know, you look at the schedule, and I, I must say, if you break it down, if uh, you know, you told the Raiders you can go three and three to start the year, they would be okay because they have Carolina, which they were able to get that win, but then they got the Saints, you know, uh, Monday night, not easy. Then they got at New England, fly all the way across the country again, second time in three weeks. Then they got Buffalo at home, at Kansas City, and then Brady and Tampa Bay. And that's a tough six-game slate. Again, if you could come out of that three and three, that's why they had to win that Carolina game. And then even after that, they're not hard but they are road games at Cleveland and at the L.A. Chargers. And then it eases up. They get the Falcons. They get the Jets. They get the Colts, the Chargers, the Dolphins. And that's why if they can get out of this thing three and three, uh, and you know, even two and four is not, you know, ridiculously bad. That Carolina win on Sunday, that, that was huge. That's why you can't nitpick too much about that. The, the fact that they came out of there with a victory, unless they fall completely flat on their faces over the next five weeks, you know, you're looking at worst, I would think, two and four. And with the schedule the rest of the way, that's actually not too bad. So uh, the Raiders are in a halfway decent spot here. They are. So, But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, 2,700 parking spaces. Boy, that, that's uh, that's not too many. That, that really is not. Good news for college football fans. You know, I, I say good news. It, it, you know, we'll temper it. Uh, but, it, you know, the Wisconsin Chancellor said that the conference is, you know, maybe just maybe thinking about starting up in October. She did say, and I'll emphasize she, she Rebecca Blank says, uh, uh, said, or Re- Re- Rebecca Blank says that the conference is either going to be all or nothing. 
It's it's no Ohio State is going to play, Nebraska is going to play, but the rest of the conference is not. I, I don't know why she feels that way and why the conference necessarily feels that way, but she did say it's going to be an all-or-nothing type of thing. And the Pac-12 is apparently considering on playing it maybe in October, November as well. So keep your fingers crossed there. I will wrap up shop next with a couple of winners with the boys in Vegas for later on tonight. Right here on Vegas with that SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bagel. Now, back to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Bagels and Bad Beats with a couple of stories that we didn't have time to get to as we close out this Tuesday program. First off, uh, Brady's Buccaneers debut. Uh, one of the rare games in which ratings were actually up in the NFL. NFL's getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, I'll tell you what, ratings are, for the most part, down across the board. And I don't doubt last night's games, Pittsburgh Giants, Snooze Fest, Tennessee, Denver, didn't help the cause. But the Bucs Saints. A 16.2 overnight rating that was up just a tick from uh, from last year's nationally televised game. Uh, free agent running back Devontae Freeman says he's nearing a decision on who to sign with, says he's considering four teams. He ran for 650 yards last year. He's not going to be the make or break of anyone. Uh, how about Roy Jones Jr. saying that, mm, you know, agreeing to fight Mike Tyson might not have been a good idea after all. You know, the heavier Mike Tyson, even at 50-plus years old, can still bring it, saying it might be a little too dangerous. So I don't know if that's going to go off or not. Five more Texas Tech football players tested positive for the virus. And Air Force is going to play Navy and Army this year, despite not playing, at this point, any other team, as the Mountain West Conference is uh, not having football. But uh, Air Force is practicing, and they announced yesterday that they're going to play Navy on October 3rd and then Army on November 7th. So at least you're going to get uh, two games out of uh, Army, Navy, and Air Force uh, uh, playing the uh, Commanders-in-Chief uh, trophy, uh, which is still going to be up for grabs. All right, well, winners for t- tonight. You got a Game 7 in the uh, NBA uh, Western Conference second round. Clippers, you know, 207.5. I'm not going to lay the 7.5 for sure. Not going to grab Denver, but I will take the under 207.5 just because I remember Game 7, Utah and Denver, and it was played in the 80s. I don't know if this one will, but tight defense the whole way. You got Game 1, Eastern Conference Finals. I'm going to go with the Celtics. I'll lay the point and a half against Miami. I think the Celtics win that series. I think the bubble burst for the uh, Miami Heat. It was oddly enough the Red Sox play the Miami Marlins. So Boston versus Boston tonight. Great job by the phone calls, emails, and tweeters. Be safe. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Big Bad News. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.